Welcome to The Q, Conversations in Digital Media. This podcast is brought to you by Q1 Media, digital campaign execution and optimization since 2004. Our next episode is queued up and ready to roll. Thank you for listening. You're in the queue. Welcome to the queue, everyone. Conversations in digital media. This is James McNeil, and this episode, again, is once again brought to you by Q1 Media. Q1 Media partners with the agency's brands all across the na- nation for their digital marketing needs. Definitely check out q1media.com. You can download case studies. Uh, you can check out some of the uh, clients we work with, or just uh, feel free to reach out to us and send us a, send us a note, send us a, send us a recommendation. Uh, this uh, episode of the podcast, we actually had Rebecca Kish on. She is the digital marketing strategist for Continental Auto Group and, and works within the macho marketing division of that auto group. Uh, she's uh, an expert in the digital media space, uh, starting back with her college days, working within social media, and then uh, even had a, had a little bit. She did trucker bed um, and selling for a little while, which is an interesting take. And then she also just... Uh, worked for Main Street Hub uh, for a few years, got our social media chops, obviously the reviews and all stuff with that, and then has been working with Continental Auto Group brand, uh, who has First Texas Honda, Ma- uh, Mercedes-Benz of Austin, Austin Subaru, and Austin Infinity dealerships within the Austin, Texas area, and she handles all their social media and all the big promotions. We had a great conversation about all of that and working with big brands, obviously the automakers, uh, just the different changes within the social media landscape. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. You're in the queue. All right. Thanks, Rebecca, for joining us here in the queue. Um, we really appreciate it. I know uh, you are. You've been in Austinite for for quite some time, and I always kind of kind of ask this question. So there's a taco battle going on in Austin. Yes. What would you say? And it, you can be obscure. You can throw an obscure one out. But what's your favorite taco place? One of my favorite taco places. Have you been to? Taco Deli's great, mm-hmm. but then there's also this place on airport called Tyson's Tacos. Oh, that is, yes. It's really gourmet, obscure, yep. good ones. The only caveat there is they don't have air conditioning. Yep. Yeah, so 100, 100 degree day in, a, in in August in the afternoon might not be good there, but yeah. yeah. They're and a spring and fall taco only. Yeah, or at night. <laughs> or at uh, night. They stay open late, too. They're one of those that really, um, I think they're open until like midnight, I mm-hmm. want to say. So they're they're a late night taco place. That's a good choice, actually. And I, I like the obscure ones because sometimes people like choose the go-tos, Torgis or yeah. Taco Deli. They're Which all is good. great. There's, there's endless amounts, and I know people from you know all over the the nation are like, well, no, we got better tacos than that, but you know, no, 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 <laughs> Texas tacos only. Austin's known for their tacos, <laughs> so uh, so yeah, tell me a little about yourself. So I know you uh, moved to Austin about five years ago mm-hmm. um, from the Midwest. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, kind of uh, tell 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 us a little about yourself and how, where you grew up. Yeah, so I was raised in Bloomington, Indiana, which is home of um, Indiana University. Go Hoosiers. <laughs> yep. Course. It's a basketball city, town. Huge basketball town. I'm a huge basketball girl. Um, it's a lot like Austin, really local, really um, liberal and fun and weird. A lot of, you know, keep Austin weird vibes in Bloomington. So I was raised there, went to high school there, then moved on to um, the University of Evansville, which is a small private college in southern Indiana. Nice. In and Evansville. The, like whiskey area. I guess there's near Louisville and all that area. Or, yes. Yeah. yeah. 
close to Louisville, cl- um, not too far from St. Louis as well. Okay, really cool. down in the corner of, in- if, <laughs> if Indiana has a corner, it's in the corner. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that's, uh, I went to school there for, I got a um, business degree in both marketing and management there. And it was a great school. I really loved going there. I loved the, sm- it was only 2,000 students. Yeah. So super small compared to IU, which is 40,000 undergrads. Yeah, ridiculous. And so then, big. Yeah, and then um, wanted to be closer to family, so moved to Texas. Awesome. So um, let me ask you, so when you were going to school, obviously social media, marketing started to take a big shift. Mm-hmm. Is that maybe something, you know, that kind of interests you in, mm-hmm. in terms of like, okay, well, the, the game is changing, mm-hmm. um, and it's changing right in front of my eyes, like right as we're learning this. <laughs> yeah, we were some of the first... Um, classes to take on digital marketing courses and whatnot. And in the School of Business, what I really was gravitating towards was marketing research and consumer behaviors. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, digital was big, too. And and that was, of course, interesting. And so those coupled really well together. Entrepreneurship was a great class. And statistics was fun for what it was. And accounting, right? Yeah. But definitely the marketing side is really what drew me in. Yeah, I remember in being in college and, and Twitter released and it was like everybody had to get a Twitter account had to get for a Twitter. the class. Yeah. And it was it was it was different. It was something new and everybody was like, Well, I remember some professors being really upset about it and not really, you know, thinking this was the future and you know, that's um, I remember live tweeting in class <laughs> about <laughs> about different topics and what was going on in class and because it was all the rage then. And there was no regulation yeah. back then. Or there was no smartphones. Uh, mm-hmm. so that was also pretty tough because, you know, I'm sure nowadays with colleges, there's, there's, it's really difficult for people, for professors and, um, and even the faculty members to like to manage the, the type of smartphone, like people always online live tweeting their classes. I don't know. I mean, there's no way to stop it in a 300 person auditorium. So sure. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, so yeah. So, um, you, what, what was the first job out of college? I mean, what, what did you get into? My first job out of college was, um, I booked freight. So I really, yes, it was crazy. I was on the phone calling. I was a broker. So I was calling truck drivers in Kankakee, Illinois and saying, I need a flatbed by tomorrow at noon. Can you take this load of shingles down to Florida? (laughs) Wow. So totally different from totally crazy. Yeah. Very sales driven though. I did a lot of cold calling Uh and then just a lot of phone conversations too, that built up those skills, which was great. It's great skills to have just in life and in any job. Totally. And then from there, what was interesting was um, I worked there for about a year, but a bunch of my colleagues were going to work at this company called Main Street Hub, which is what I wanted to do. Of course, it was social media and marketing driven. Mm-hmm. And so um, I kind of followed in their footsteps. They, I was getting referred there with them. And so um, I got hired on at Main Street Hub. It was a local startup downtown. They managed um, local businesses, social media and digital space mm-hmm. for businesses nationwide. Right. So I was a customer success manager there, and I had 230 customers by the wow. time I left. It was it was pretty nuts, the book size. Yeah, and the group, I mean, I know they grew uh, pretty substantially over the time you were there. Uh-huh. Uh, what type of, I mean, clients, was it all type of clients, retail? Yeah, all or? industries, yeah. Oh, wow. Beauty, retail, rest- a lot of restaurant. Mm-hmm. Um, beauty, retail, restaurant, hotels, um, tours, all kinds of things, dealerships. Yeah. Um, and so we would essentially take them on as clients. We would optimize all of their pages. So they would be on Google or Yelp, but not know what to do with those pages, how to make them look really good, how to fill out all the information so that you're giving the consumer the most information as the best information you could say. 
So we, or they would have multiple pages. They wouldn't have access to pages. Mm -hmm. So we became the pros in here's how to get those pages back. Here's how to merge some pages. Here's how to make it look. Here's how to put your best foot forward when someone's searching for you and finding you on Google or Yelp. So that was the first step. The second step was coming to me as their customer success manager. I would learn about their business, learn about their goals um, with digital, with social. <clears throat> Excuse me. Learn about their goals with digital and social. And then um, I would take that to their content manager. Oh, wow. Their content manager would write their tweets, respond to their reviews, post for them three times a week. And then I would consult with them. Hey, do you know what we're doing? How, do, how can I build value in what we're doing? Because it is important. Mm -hmm. Teaching them what we're doing it and why we're doing it. And some people would get really mad. Why are you on Twitter? I don't have customers on Twitter. Well, but four years ago, five years ago, you did have customers on Twitter, whether you knew it or not. So my job was to educate them and try to teach them about why it was important and how we were utilizing it. So while I wasn't necessarily the exact person doing it, I had to know what we were doing and why and then how to communicate that to the customer, which yeah, was the business owner. Yeah, and I know that a lot of times, like you said, like there's so many avenues that they have to deal with, whether it's Yelp. I mean, at the time, there was you know, a bunch of different places where they didn't know where they needed to be, um, and you just mm -hmm. helped them. Uh, is it was it difficult working with some maybe like smaller companies that were like, mm -hmm. well, we, like maybe it's a mom and pop, you know, restaurant or something. And yeah. I mean, it, it was the education hard. Yes. Yes. The education. <laughs> so you had to be that person. Yes. So. The education was definitely difficult, especially for, you know, the older clients who never hardly knew the internet was really needed, thought social media was kind of a fad. Um, I really just want y'all to respond to my reviews online or get rid of my reviews. Well, unless they're yeah, violating. They always want the bad reviews they gone. They always want their bad reviews gone, sure. What do you tell people when, when, they, were, when they would say that? What's your, what was your line? <laughs> Essentially, Yelp, Yelp is out there for people to write reviews. Yeah. And with the good comes the bad. Yeah. You can't have one without the other. Yeah. Um, if they're violating the, the terms of service, the TOS, then we can do everything we can to flag the review. And again, we were taught and we know the steps to take. We know the best way to get a review removed if it's possible. Mm -hmm. But a lot of times, unless someone is clearly violating the terms, and of course the terms are different on Facebook, Google, and Yelp, TripAdvisor too. The terms are all different on the different platforms. The flagging process is different. So they needed us because they don't have the time or the resources to do that themselves. Right. And if a, if a review had a chance to be removed, we had a lot of success in removing it for them. Yeah, and what, I mean, was there a typical, like, um, one of the I, one of the easiest ones, easiest yeah. review to get removed was someone would write a review based upon somebody else. My friend James McNeil uh -huh. went to this mom and pop restaurant and they had the spaghetti and they said it was awful. Well, you have to write a review based upon a personal consumer experience. Right. So if you're writing a review based upon your son, your daughter, your friend's experience, that's yeah. an easy one to get Because they were totally taken. lying. I loved it. So. You loved the pasta. <laughs> it was great. I love pasta. Spaghetti's the best. I know. So, uh, so yeah, we're dealing with that, I mean, there's you learned probably a bunch of different industries, a bunch of mm -hmm. um, you know different you know, sectors, verticals. Um, mm -hmm. You got into the auto space. I mean, what mm -hmm. what's, was difficult about that? I mean, everybody tends to write reviews and you know, has good and bad experiences yeah. with auto. I mean, there's there's definitely that stigma out there with the sleazy sales guy and whatever, but you, yeah. know, you started to work with those brands. Yeah, I think the stigma is one of the hardest things when it comes to automotive is mm -hmm. our stores can do everything they can to make, and I think they do a really great job, especially here in Austin. And I think stores in general nationwide are really kind of turning that corner of being sleazy auto salesmen and they're realizing that that doesn't work anymore. The game has changed. They have to do good in-house to get customers and keep people coming back now that there are review platforms to be aware of. 
And so I think changing the stigma online and trying to get people to trust you to want to work with you, because at the end of the day, we buy things from people we like. And so if you can get people to like you as a business, they're more likely to want to do business with you when they need a car. Yeah, and recurring and referrals and all mm-hmm. that stuff. And mm-hmm. obviously, referrals are basically what you're doing online, um, yes. which is monitoring and reviewing and, and managing all the all the reviews because those people are, they have a voice. And mm-hmm. unfortunately, there's millions of voices out there and you know you got to keep track of them all. Sure. Uh, so I guess, yeah, you moved in uh, to the auto space uh, mm-hmm. for Continental Auto Group mm-hmm. and started managing their social media. What was that like, you know, transitioning from working with so many different brands mm-hmm. at Main Street uh, and then going to, you know, uh, a, a brand itself and mm-hmm. you know, working with these uh, automakes. I was super excited to get the chance to work with just a few businesses really closely rather than 230 really broadly. I got to really get to know these automakers and these customers because our Subaru customers are quite different from our Mercedes-Benz customers, of course, and the vehicles and what they can do and the salespeople and everything, the the venues as well, the locations, everything's really different. So I was excited to get the chance to dive in to uh, how do we enhance the consumer experience and make people love us and want us based upon the different audiences that we have. Um, So that was probably the most exciting thing for me. And when I hopped on, I did what we did at Main Street Hub. Okay, here are all the platforms. How do we merge these things and sync them and make them optimized? And we're still optimizing profiles, even with, um, with, I've been with Continental for three years now, And even right now, Indeed has come out with their different platforms for the dealership. So our hiring platforms now need to be optimized for each dealership and location. Glassdoor is the same. And so the optimization never ends. Right. No, it's clearly, I mean, you have to you have to be up on the Mm -hmm. times because there's no uh, going back Mm -hmm. now. And the back the days were classified ads and. And the green book where you'd see auto, um, like used, used cars being posted on the, on the green, green right. sheets. And that's just totally different. And even Craigslist back in the day and auto trader, it's, it's totally different. Sure. Uh, what's changed with um, social media specifically? I guess what, I, within the time that you've worked in the space, um, have you seen a shift um, with the way brands are marketing themselves mm-hmm. and maybe even utilizing social media? Yeah, definitely. I think I think the biggest thing that's shifted and that continues to shift is the algorithm as we're seeing. I think that as the algorithm has so many negatives and we all you know, kind of despise the algorithm, but I think one of the positive things that the algorithm has done is forced brands to bring consumers valuable content rather than allowing brands to serve self-serving content. Mm -hmm. Right. So you can't just put out whatever you want to put out anymore, because if people aren't engaging with it, the algorithm's going to know that. And they're going to say, hey, let's not give this to any more people because people don't want to see it. And Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all the platform's main goal is how do we keep people on our platform? And if we're giving them crappy content, spammy, salesy content, they're not going to stay on our platform, whether it's organic or an ad. And so I think that that really benefits us as users of Facebook, but then also brands too, it, it challenges them to put out better things that bring people more value. Yeah. What type of content, I guess, do you guys typically put out? Is it mostly uh, brand specific or mm-hmm. is it uh, human specific to a certain mm-hmm. target audience? I mean, what? how do you all develop that, that content? Three things that I try to stay in the realm of is it should be about our brand. So it should be about the automaker that we work with. It should be about our industry. So automotive in general, or it should be about 
our location, our dealership, our first Texas Honda, Austin Subaru, what have you location. And so I try to stay within those three verticals because I think as long as we're talking about one of those three, we're still building value and we're still building trust for our brand and our dealership. So you have to know the Austin community pretty well. Mm-hmm. Um, you have to know which tacos people <laughs> Yes, <prefer>. yeah. <laughs> Tyson's Tacos or Tor- uh, Torchy's Taco Deli. Uh, so yeah, what, what's the difficulty in that? I guess, do you have to read the market? Do you have to evaluate um, the different types of demographics that go to say an Austin Subaru versus a Mercedes Benz of Austin or Austin Infinity, mm-hmm. like how do you? I mean, do you, is there a lot of research involved? In, Definitely. I mean, yeah. I think I think lifelong learning about um, the brands and then marketing itself is always really important. Um, staying on top of what's trendy on social too. Mm-hmm. What's is it the mannequin challenge or is it FBF Flashback Friday? Even though that's kind of dead right now, right? So. <laughs> Shouldn't post about the that right now. Challenge. The ice bucket challenge, right? How can we tap into some of those relevancies? Um, how can we make a Mercedes Benz owner feel exclusive and luxurious? But they're also coming out now with more affordable vehicles. So how do we bring across that message to the the young professionals who have some income but aren't quite super affluent and they or don't maybe they didn't think they were a Mercedes type person. Right. Yeah. Right. How do we bring that brand to them? And then you know, Subaru is a whole different ballgame where how do we make people know that and feel good about buying a Subaru? Of course they're well known for safety, but how can we showcase what we're doing as a dealership in Austin for the community and make them then want to return essentially return the favor and, and drive a Subaru because they're proud to drive a Subaru. Yeah, and Austin Subaru does a great job with that with Austin Pets Alive, mm-hmm. one of the uh, no-kill shelters here in Austin, and y'all do so, uh, the, so much. The brand of Subaru does, mm-hmm. I mean, it's dogs, it's, it's you know, uh, people who like to go out and camping mm-hmm. with their dogs, and dogs Adventure. is a big, a big portion of their thing. So mm-hmm. you guys saw that and gravitated towards it. Yeah, um, it's and, been a seven-year relationship in the making, mm-hmm. and we, we uh, partner with them for all kinds of things. Um, we do paddle for puppies every fall, which is a just a charity paddle on the lake that's always so, so fun. Um, the past couple of years, we've done Santa Paws, which is a photo <laughs> shoot with Santa for your dog. And that one's a lot of fun. We do adoption events throughout the year. And then just the normal sponsorships. If they're hosting an event, we generally try to underwrite it in some way or another. And then the, the big one is every, every winter, Subaru does the Share the Love campaign and for every Subaru purchased uh, the consumer gets to choose one of four charities our local charity has always been um, Austin Pets Alive well at least recently it's been Austin Pets Alive and so I think this last year just a couple weeks ago for the 2018 campaign we donated just shy of $80,000 to Austin Pets Alive as a result of our customers choosing them out of the four charities so that was always really really rewarding for us and how uh, during that time or say during that say two week lead up mm-hmm. uh, the promotional period what do you do on social media like how do you promote that and how do you uh, work with these nonprofits? Um, is that difficult I mean mm-hmm. is it I mean I know there's a lot that goes into that mm-hmm. yes definitely I know APA does a lot on their end because Subaru recently I think as of last year if we mention one of the brands we have to mention all of them 
So they kind of limit us and handcuff us in that way, which has made it a little bit more increasingly difficult. But we can also promote APA and post some fun content about them without mentioning share the love. And so we kind of try to get around it in that way, is let's still have APA on our page. And we don't necessarily have to talk about share the love, but we can still make them top of mind when you think of Subaru. Yeah, so many different regulations you got to stick. Is that difficult to have to, you know, obviously work with brands and you're, you're trying to promote your dealership, like you said, brand first, um, the local, the localness of it. Um, it, how do how is, how closely do you work with the brand and do you Mm -hmm. often like, do you work, talk to them every day about stuff? Uh, We, uh, generally I would say, so with the manufacturers, we do have to stay within brand compliance. Mm -hmm. Every single thing that we post on social media has to be brand focused and approved. And so I send the pages in regularly to be checked, but then also some brands are even scrolling our pages once a month to see, make sure that we're compliant. There are so many small things that we can't say verbiage. Like we can never say sales price or best price because it devalues the brand. And so that makes it really tricky because of course a lot of people are really price driven, mm-hmm. but we can't advertise we can't advertise as being price driven because it breaks brand standards. So we have to find ways around that using things, using phrases like you can get into a Mercedes Benz for less than you'd expect. (laughs) So that we don't say those, those trigger words that will get us out of compliance. There's also a lot of photos uh, with graphic design that we have to be careful with. If we have a photo of a car, we can't have any text or imagery on the vehicle itself. And so you want to post photos of the cars and you want to make them fun and more than just a photo, you want to add some things to it. But we a lot there's it's really limiting unless we have a lot of side room or headroom to post around the car or put a logo or some kind of imagery. But just on the car image you can't. Can't be on it cannot <laughs> intr- encroach on the vehicle itself. See, those are the little things that you would not know as working you just I mean Facebook would approve anything or sure. maybe not. I mean they, they kind of have some hard regulations which we'll get into. Um, but yeah, I guess with with that said, um, with working with the brands is there something that you feel um, maybe is 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 a positive I guess for like working with the brands and obviously they keep you guys in line with mm-hmm. you know I guess as a as a dealership. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to stay on brand when you're posting about uh, about an automaker. So the fact that we need to be using specific colors and things can't be super wonky with, you know, uh, uh, star, star post, starburst is the word I'm looking for, with starbursts and things that are just really cheesy. Um, I like that, that a lot of that's been taken away and it needs to look clean and readable and valuable instead of just... Yeah. However, you'd like it's to not design a used it. car lot commercials. Exactly. So, um, so, what type of campaigns have you seen be pretty successful? You know, I guess with, you know, with the engagement that you talked about earlier, mm-hmm. are there certain campaigns that do uh, better than others? Mm-hmm. I think anytime that we have the chance to be really narrowed in on who we're sending a message to, and what we're saying, I think that's when we see a lot of success. For example, one of our Honda our Honda dealership put out a video about a, a Honda Odyssey, which is just a minivan, right? But we did it. We used a, a young girl who had two kids, and she dropped her kids off at school. You see her running errands throughout throughout town. So she grabs a coffee. She gets her nails done. She picks up her dry cleaning. She uses the vacuum in the Honda because it's built in now. She uses the vacuum to sweep up their Cheez-Its. She picks up her kids. She does a donut before she pulls into the driveway, <laughs> and we a slow mo donut. Yeah. And then uh, on the screen it says something about conquering the cul de sac, 
And so it, it's been one of our more successful videos because we were able to find a really specific demographic that we were targeting. Here's a Honda. Hondas are cool. Helps you get the day done and, and conquer your day. Conquer the cul-de-sac. Be a cool mom while you're doing it, too. Well, and that's the Honda Odyssey brand, too. I mean, even, like, <laughs> on the national level, they do kind of have that, like, rock and roll. Like, hey, this, mm-hmm. is, this is the cool mom minivan. So mm-hmm. that is kind of aligning well with, with the brand. Right. They're um, trying to break that stereotype. Yeah. The, long, the young, cool, hip mom. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess, uh, is there anything, like, that maybe didn't work well where you're like, oh, man, we could have done better on this. And like, obviously there was no engagement and maybe what was like the reason why. Mm -hmm. So two things that come to mind is a lot of the, a lot of the stock photos and the, the stock imagery, the stock messaging that the, the manufacturers send us to use, they don't do well at all. They don't perform well, but they want us to be using them. And so again, we're a little bit handcuffed by compliance there where we need to be using what they're telling us to use, but we also need to be supplementing it with a lot of really good organic content. Um, and another thing that doesn't seem to perform well is kind of on the flip side of, of the, the Honda Odyssey is if we're just, I call it spraying and praying, right? So like, let's run an ad. Here's a lease offer. We'll uh, send it to anyone who can drive. So 16, ages 16 to 65, you can get behind the wheel of a vehicle. So we'll target them within 25 miles of Austin, well, if you're trying to hit everyone, you're not going to hit anyone. Your message won't resonate with anyone if you're just trying to get it out to everybody. Right. So when you're not, so I've seen those kind of flop where it's not we're not getting the engagement that we want because we're not tapping into anybody's needs or desires or wants without that really narrowed in audience. I mean, everything you're speaking about, too, is it takes a team to go in and analyze this mm-hmm. and, and pull in the data. Mm-hmm. Um, at Continental Auto Group started Macho Marketing back in the day, and you guys have a full team, full videography mm-hmm. team that shoots commercials. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you're on the social media and digital strategist side. Um, you know, what do you, do you think this is a commonality for most big auto groups, or are you guys kind of out there doing this and people are following, looking at what you're doing? I think a little bit of both. What I've noticed when I go to conferences and talk to vendors or other auto dealerships, it does seem like we've, we were kind of first to market there to bring everything in-house um, because Macho Marketing's been around for, I believe, eight years now. I've been with the company for three. And when I talk to people, it does seem like most people hire out their commercials where we sh- literally shoot ours in-house, like you said, which is so awesome because we get Austin footage mm-hmm. and we get to control the narrative there, which is really great. Um, yeah, no, there's definitely some things like that. I feel just in the growth of macho marketing, it was maybe one or two people. (laughs) And mm -hmm. then now it's like, you know, a whole full team and the auto group, there's four different auto groups, uh, Mm -hmm. or there's Mercedes, there's Honda, there's Subaru and infinity, Mm -hmm. and there's a lot to manage. So Mm -hmm. it makes sense for, for a company to like bring that in house. Um, yeah, I guess, is there anything new on the horizon that you guys are having to battle with? Is there like, well, Facebook regulations or, um, maybe changes within the digital landscape, like connected TV. I know that's a lot of people are cutting the cord and maybe moving to that side and going, well, we don't need to do, we don't have cable and whatnot. I mean, what, what kind of changes are going on? Yeah. One of the biggest changes that we've seen within the last year is whenever Facebook had their privacy scandal, we saw a lot of the analytics on the back end of ads go away. We used to be able to get really, really narrowed in on our advertising targeting. We could 
specifically target people who were in the market for a Mercedes Benz, in the market for a competing competitor, competing brand like Audi, BMW, mm-hmm. or near the market. So maybe you were coming up on your lease end, and Facebook knew this about you because they know everything about us. We could we could select all of these analytics on the back end and target people really specifically. A lot of that is gone. We can really only target um, based upon location, age, zip code, and behaviors and life events. So behaviors meaning are you shopping on mobile or desktop? And then life events, is it your birthday? Do you have an anniversary coming up? Did you just move to Austin? Those kinds of things. Interesting. So that's really hurt us a little bit because we really, of course, liked having that narrowed in audience. I mean, everybody now is restricted, but how do you get around that? Is there, I mean, is there results of the engagement going down? Like how, how, how do you get around that? Yeah, I think we are seeing a little bit um, less engagement, but ROI in general is really, really tough to track as you can imagine on social, just because people aren't necessarily there to purchase a vehicle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as you can imagine, of course, now Facebook Marketplace is entering the conversation, but that's pre-owned vehicles, which is different than new vehicles. Um, so I think I think the workaround, there's always going to be workarounds. We always have to adapt with social. Um, and so I think it's just trial and erroring new things to see what's what's impactful. Yeah, then I mean, it's interesting to see where it's going to go. Obviously, video um, is going to be huge. Even Facebook's got now, now their own video network, and mm-hmm. everybody gets the updates of, of hey, you got to watch this video and X X Y Z. Um, I guess yeah, it's it's with the future of of, of auto um, and the makes. I feel like cars now are just becoming smart. Everything's becoming such technological logically driven um it's going to be an interesting time for for the auto space um i guess yeah so anything you'd like to add as far as you know the continental auto group and what you guys do and maybe like some little pointers you can give out to people (laughs) maybe don't (laughs) give away all the all the all the uh the tips that you guys do all the secrets all the secrets i think in in the auto space and really in any space i think it's just really important as a business or as someone who has something to sell on facebook um I think it's just really important to always be a human and to not lose sight of your, you need to publish things that serve your community and serve your audience. How can you bring them value? How can you give people things for free so that they like you, they want to work with you, um, and they and they want to choose you when they're in, in your market and they're ready to buy? Whether it's a vehicle, whether it's blue jeans, jewelry, dog food, whatever it is, how can you get people to trust you and, and how can you get them to want to choose you. Yeah. No, it's very good advice. I think I always tell people, it's like, be a human, talk mm-hmm. to people, <laughs> be, you know, listen and, and, and learn the community. And engage. Okay. Another big thing is you're getting comments on your posts and a, a huge thing is you have to respond, right? Yeah. It's not a one way conversation. Social is meant to be social. And so when you, when you are getting to the point where you're getting comments, respond and engage with people and let them ask questions and always be appreciative that they're showing support and go show support back. Yeah. And be a human, like not be a, a robot, human. you know, like don't just feel like the one word answers or one line sentences, like maybe ask, you know, be a human now, like a normal person would mm-hmm. talk to him. Definitely. Well, thanks for joining us here on the queue. We really do appreciate it. Rebecca. Yeah. Thank you, James. Thank you.